Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. This is Controlling Commodity Costs, and we are your hosts, Craig Turner and Tom Dazzle. We are your authority to gain control of your commodity exposure, stay ahead of the competition, and maximize your profit margins. This podcast is brought to you by StoneX Group, a Fortune 100 company with a 100-year history in the commodity markets. You can find us on the NASDAQ. All right, welcome back. It's mid-September, so we're here with the September market outlook. Craig, good afternoon, and Dan, good afternoon, joining us today on the podcast. Yeah, great to be here. So, uh, Dan, could you uh, tell us in the audience a little bit about yourself? I know you've been on in the past, but uh, it was just that one time. Sure. Uh, my background is predominantly in energy, in the oil markets, the natural gas markets, U.S. and, and then abroad. Uh, deal with a lot of food and, and manufacturing companies, as well as uh, utilities, municipal, municipalities, and cooperatives that provide energy to customers. A lot of transportation contracts that we work with because diesel is such a big part of shipping our uh, various commodity products around the country. Yeah, well, speaking of diesel, it's been it's been quite the rally lately. Um, you know, what's what's been going on with that market? Well, I think you have to think about diesel. You have to back up three months ago to look at crude oil markets. And three months ago, people may not remember, crude oil prices, WTI, were, was approaching $65 a barrel. And today, I think we hit $90 a barrel. So you're talking $25, pretty significant move. And you know, we all know, being commodity people, that the drivers in an energy market or any commodity market are supply-demand driven. In this case, I, I think the predominant driver for the 20 to $25 rally in crude prices has been all about supply. Uh, OPEC has cut, you know, OPEC plus combined with Russia for the first time have followed through on their production cuts. And you're talking about a two and a half million barrel cut a day. Just in July and August alone, that's about 75 million barrels of crude oil. If that was to, to extend out through December, that's that's a little a uh, little north of 240 million barrels been cut so far. Big numbers on supply side. At the same time, the U.S. production we're up 700,000 barrels. We're up six percent, almost 12.8, 12.9 billion million barrels a day. So the U.S. is is picking up that slack uh, in in terms of providing production. It's a supply driven energy rally that we have, and you know you can look at the demand side of the market. And in the last you know, 24, 48 hours, the three major uh, energy, I guess, um, forecasters as far as demand for 24, OPEC came out, they expect world demand next year to increase about 2.25 million barrels a day. Now, the more unbiased uh, international energy uh, group and the EIA, the Department of Energy, are both talking about roughly 1 to 1.3 million barrels a day. So, OPEC, just like they've done before, where they jawbone the market up by talking about production cuts, they're really pushing this, this story about world oil demand picking up and being strong. And that's the tightness in the market. They're saying China's going to pick up demand. We don't believe that's going to happen. We think this is a supply-driven market that we have. Diesel prices at $3.25. Obviously, retail prices much higher than that. You, you, they should not be sustainable simply because the demand side of the market is, is not there to, to support. The supply cuts have done their job of bringing prices back up, probably 
five to ten dollars a barrel over where they should be right now. Mm -hmm. But we're not sure that demand can keep that that momentum going in in the diesel market. All right. And is there any concern about, I guess, refinery capacity and and that kind of stuff? You know, just you all, you you hear sometimes. Now, there's not enough investment in that part of the energy sector. I mean, is that going to come back and be supportive of prices too, or is that overblown? Well, I think it's overblown because you can look at China. China, you know, as far as what they do, they were huge importers of crude oil. And you think, okay, they're importing crude oil to support their domestic, you know, domestic demand for diesel products. They're one of the largest exporters of refined products now. And, mm -hmm. and we know China's very good at, at trading spreads margins on commodities and what they've done is they bought very cheap oil early part of the summer refined it and now are selling it back into the market i don't think from a standpoint of, of the issue of capacity you know we've been running at 90 plus percent we go into maintenance season a little bit i don't think that's a big issue right now all right all right so Looking over into natural gas, prices kind of are still stable. And you look out into the forward curve, there's just not a lot of movement in natural gas. Do you see that changing anytime soon? Well, natural gas is, is, is very much like the time of year where grains are the time of year when you planted them and now you wait for the potential heat and the potential drought scenarios to come in. Natural gas is, is at the apex of that over the next four or five weeks as we move into winter. I will say one thing about natural gas, the, the supply demand, supply is pretty good, uh, but demand is, is strong as well for natural gas. And this is domestically in the United States. At the same time, you know, we, we obviously came off of a warmer winter, which left inventories pretty high. So we didn't have to build that much. We're gonna end up with pretty good inventories. And Tom, the one thing that, that we always get concerned about going into this time of year is, it's been 2018, we all hear El Nino all the time. El Nino is strengthening and El Nino for North America winter tends to be a milder Northern part of the United States and a wetter, colder part of the Southern United States. But the last time we had an El Nino that was this kind of pattern was 2018. And I still remember 2018, we had a top third coldest November in the last hundred years. And we had the highest snow cover snow amounts in November over the previous 50 years. So, you know, early winter is, is kind of an important driver, just like in the grain markets, you know, you get, you get drought and, and heat early that builds a risk premium and or weather premium. And I don't think there's any weather premium in the natural gas market going into this winter. And one last thing, the world market right now in Australia, Australia exports about 11% of all LNG around the world. Uh, half of the that, about 6%, those, uh, those LNG exporters, their unions went on strike. They, they went on a strike last week. Uh, there's a negotiation discussion with the government regulatory body September 22nd next week. But it's likely that they're gonna be, you know, they're gonna be offline for a while, which could start to affect Asian prices, which we know the waterfall effect, Asian prices and affect European prices, which then drive North American prices. So I, I would be concerned about prices not moving to levels that we saw last year, but but I, I definitely think an early cold snap coming into late October, early November could move prices from a very comfortable two fifty to three dollar range to three fifty to four and a half dollar range. Got it. Very well, interesting. So maybe 
maybe some maybe some opportunity there for our for our hedger clients and and my other takeaway what you said about crude oil was kind of have some patience here at the moment and diesel uh try to have patience because yeah i mean the other thing too is these prices we haven't really seen the ripple effect into the inflation and uh and the potential impact that can have on the economy also going forward which is we know pretty fragile you go much higher something might break uh, if, if, if inflation starts to rear up strong again, so. Agreed, because the CPI number and the PPI numbers that came out the last two days, they said CPI, one of the biggest components for the increase was gasoline prices. We all know when we go to the pump, gasoline prices have moved a lot higher. And a lot of times you're exactly right. That takes a while to bleed into other sectors of the market from an inflationary. I think that that's coming, but obviously I'm not an economist. Now, some of our listeners Dan, we were talking right before we started this. Some of our listeners are uh, are maybe on the uh, sweets or desserts or confectionery side of things in the food and beverage industry. There's some interesting correlation lately with what's going on in the sugar market. And I thought you had some interesting insight into what we're seeing in the world market there. Sure. Well, in, in sugar, you know, not so much around here in North America, but sugar from a, um, you know, a, a, an energy standpoint is is pretty significant around other parts of the world, especially in South America as well. And you know, sugar prices have, have followed crude higher. They have their own bullish story or have had their own positive spin story over the last year or so. I think they're hitting close to 29, 30 cents, which is, which is significantly higher than their averages, which are normally in the you know, 21 to 22 cent range. And sugar markets are really, it's a dichotomy as, I, as we talked about earlier between Brazil is a huge provider of sugarcane, as well as India and Thailand. Brazil, record crop for sugar this year, sugarcane. Problems always, as we know, with Brazil. They get the crop logistically to move it to ports, to get it out of the country. That's always where the logjam is, and that's no different this year. There's a lot of products stacked up waiting to come to market. At the same time, you've got India and Thailand who have had some really bad uh, weather events and their production estimates are anywhere from 20 to 30% lower. India especially is deciding, and I believe they're gonna decide by the end of October on whether to, to do an export ban on a portion of what they normally bring out to market because their, their production levels are so low. So that's a stay tuned type scenario. One other thing I'll say about sugar, it seems to be a, a, a fan of, of speculative hedge funds. They've been They've been pretty aggressive and, and percentage-wise total open interest, pretty pretty big participants. So Tom, Greg, you know the markets, you get you get the spec position too big one way and, and it can definitely be a, a fast liquidation when the elevator drops. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, if we, uh, you can say the same thing for wheat right now, right, Tom? I mean, that's got quite the, the short position in there. Yeah, you get everyone standing on one side of the boat you take note and maybe maybe start st stacking some bets on on things eventually swinging back the other way no. um, you you mentioned the the logistics at the ports in Brazil Dan and it made me think about soybeans and how there might be some competition at those ports for what commodity is going to get out of the country and what's going to what's going to get loaded onto what vessel um, we just had the September WASDE report from USDA. They updated the soybean yield. They reduced it from 59.1 bushels per acre down to 51.1. Uh, they also lowered U.S. export demand by 35 million bushels, but net-net ending stocks still tighten 
from 245 million last month to just 220 million this month. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, I, I wanna say that's a stock to usage of around five or five or six percent. So, you know, soybeans are gonna be tight. You can make the argument the pipeline minimums are now closer to 200 million as opposed to when they, you know, back in 2012, pipeline minimum was close to, you know, in the low 100s, but the crush capacity and the, you know, the industry has expanded a lot over the, the past decade, especially with now this ramp up in renewable uh, biodiesel. So yeah, I mean, we're getting tight and if we get any tighter, you know, there is some, I want to say the bulls are a little disappointed um, that the yields didn't come down on maybe down to like 49 on, on soybeans, you know, small crops tend to get smaller, big crops tend to get bigger with the USDA reports. If we do go to 49 or 49 and a half in beans, um, it's going to be difficult for the USDA to keep on having ending stocks get tighter. They're going to probably have to call for exports being less and then the average price being higher. And the, the higher prices would be what, uh, what, what ends up uh, being the price rationing effect for exports. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be trending that way, doesn't it? I mean, the farmers I talk to out in the fields as they're starting up harvest right now, the early yield reports I'm hearing anyways tend to be on the disappointing side, kind of those lighter test weights, uh, light, smaller seed size, and that's effect of the, of the dry August and, and start to September that they've had out there. So um, yeah, cash basis remains strong, definitely driving on the crush, like you mentioned. The import, I mean, the ex export demand is there. It's just export is exports are coming from Brazil right now. China, I, I saw their ag ministry increase the import demand uh, just the other day up to a record large 99.9 .9 million metric tons for, uh, for this old crop. And then they increased new crop demand also, um, not record large, but, but still ramped that up. So um, we're getting to that time of year where the U.S. typically starts to export more soybeans and we're just on a very tight balance sheet. So, yeah, just to echo, Craig, I think what you're saying is if you come down much more on yield, that's going to have um, the market will be sensitive to that going forward. And then as we get into, you know, Brazil's growing season in particular, uh, they're going to need to grow another very large crop. And that northern and central growing region is prone to dryness in these El Nino type years. So. Um, you know, I mean, words of caution if you're on the buying side in soybeans or bean oil, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of focus on that, how the weather plays out down in South America in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I mean, just to reiterate there, we're going to be tight in soybeans, which means we're going to be tight in the products, the oil and the meal between now and March. Um, that is the next time that the world gets another shot of new crop supply onto the market. And between now and then, beans, with beans 13, uh, meal is over 400. Uh, bean oils looks like it's being supported at 60 cents a pound. And just looking at the ending stocks and how tight things are going to be between now and at least South South American harvest, um, you know those prices are warranted as long as demand stays constant. And uh, and the risk is probably to the upside, just like how Dan was talking about, you know. You can always get, you know, drought or weather concerns right after you know you're planting and growing. I mean, that's going to be November, December, January in South America, and we need a big crop. So there is risk. The risk is to the upside, and um, soybeans look very tight after reading that WASD report, and so does high protein wheat. Um, did, you know, did you? What did you? 
what did you think about the the wheat numbers and the WASD, Tom? You know, I thought uh, larger than expected uh, world stocks reduction was my main takeaway there. Uh, I think that that caught the trade by surprise, but surprisingly, it hasn't been much of a reaction yet. So I'm scratching my head wondering about that. You know, we're, we we made cuts to USDA made cuts to Argentina, Australia, Canada, EU, UK. They added a, a bit of production to Ukraine, but you know, overall, that world wheat uh, stocks figured. 258.6 million metric tons, well below the trade estimate of 264.4. I thought was I thought is, is supportive for wheat down at these levels. And when you look at the major exporter stocks to use ratios, we're we're challenging the all-time lows from back in 2007-08. So I'm sitting here scratching my head about the price on wheat. Um, yeah, why it is where it is right now, why it's as low as it is. I think one problem is it's just. Prices tend to not go up in September, right? We've got a lot of pressure from harvest and competing products. Spring wheat is being harvested right now in Canada and in the northern part of the United States. It's also being harvested in Russia. And you know, when you take a so you know when you take a look at the wheat market, especially when you make a really good point, Tom, about global exporters. You know the the global exporter ending stocks are as tight or as low as you said. You know, just about as they've been in 2007, um, which again was the last time. You know, and we saw some very elevated prices for wheat back then. Thing is, we now 80% of the world's exportable wheat is probably made in Northern Hemisphere. We just spent from late May, probably up until the next three to four weeks, all that wheat coming into the market. Then it gets locked down, and there's really no big supply coming back on the market, except for some in Argentina and some in Australia, but really you're not going to get that huge shot of wheat until next, until next May. So for prices to go higher, you got to get past for, you, you, you got to get past the harvest period. And then it's just about demand. If the demand's there, the cash prices will rise and it'll bring the futures up. Um, if the cash demand isn't there, we probably flounder, but it's hard to see wheat crash unless you know unless something happens let's i guess something happens demand because things are tight and you know we probably we're probably close to baselining here unless something just falls out of the market well if i'm a wheat buyer oh dan jump in yeah I, you know it's interesting you talk about that because i'm not you know i'm my energy expertise but obviously working with both of you a lot on the grain side in, in reading the commentary, Russia flooding the market with cheap wheat, Russia flooding the market with cheap wheat. It's interesting, that is a playbook for Russia. And they did that in the oil market when, when we were at 65 to $70 a barrel at the beginning of the summer, Russia was discounting oil to China and, and India by 10 to $15. They were selling 40, $45, uh, $50 a barrel oil, $50, $55 a barrel oil and flooding the market with that. Guess what? In the last two or three months, their playbook has changed where they realize if they join the crowd and start to basically, whether they jawbone or whether they actually follow through, now they're following through, they've cut their oil uh, uh, production by 500,000 barrels. And that's been the last $15 rally in crude. So, you know, if Russia follows a playbook like that, and I'm guessing I'm asking you, that geopolitical risk, there's a lot of intense bombing and damage going on on infrastructure in both Ukraine and Russia now. It seems like the market's ignoring most of that right now because of the flood of Russian wheat. Yeah, yeah I, seems, I I was going to say, I think they, 
Craig, didn't they put a floor price on exports of 270 a ton? Now, whether yeah. that is getting followed or not, I think is, a, is another question. I think some exporters are trying to work their way around that and arbitrage it somehow. But um, um, you're right, Dan. I think if I'm a wheat buyer, the biggest, the biggest risk, I, I, the biggest, my greatest fear is something happens uh, to, to that waterway that's leading wheat out of Russia through the Sea of Az the Azov Sea. Um, in particular, the Kerch Bridge, I think, is the biggest risk because uh, that goes uh, right over some very shallow water. And if there's any disruption to that flow reaching the world market, all of a sudden, it's a game changer, I think. So that's, that's from a risk manager standpoint, um, something I'd want to be making sure that I'm not reacting to. I'm proactively kind of uh, protecting prices down at these levels. Right. Yeah, I agree. The risk is to the upside. And... You know, whether you're doing something through the option market, like collars or whatever it may be, just the ending stocks and the tightness in that wheat market would suggest the risk is to the upside between now and May of 2024. So, so uh, what about corn? Corn is not has not been bullish. If you're just looking straight at the balance sheets, I mean, 2.2 billion carry out on corn and that's a little bit over 15 percent stock to usage in a vacuum if this was before 2020 2019 and that would suggest corn under four bucks that's not the reality in the environment we live in now but what we are seeing is corn being probably the worst performer of all the grain markets and you know it deserves to be under five dollars that, that was my takeaway on the wasi what did you think tom yeah, there's no shortage of corn right now, although I think, you know, we're at spring insurance, the revenue protection levels for a lot of the farmers out there. I don't see any incentive for farmers to want to sell much grain at harvest here. If they can store it, they're going to store it because they're already, if prices go down, they're already insured um, via the federal crop insurance. So I think cash basis eventually starts to rise kind of seasonally as you go forward in that type of environment. And I think um, I, I think the downside here is somewhat limited, personally. I think corn probably is relegated to a follower status of what soybeans are doing and what wheat does based on what kind of we just went over. I mean, if, if there's a weather scare in South America and soybeans start rocketing because they're going to need to incentivize acres in the U.S. next spring, well, they can't do that at the expense of corn. We don't have that much corn to where we can only plant, you know, 85 million acres or less. So. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're in a follower state um, and probably on the cheaper end myself, but no supply scare there like there is in the um, in the soy and, and wheat markets. Yeah. And, you know, I completely agree with what you said there, Tom. And I would just add one thing to the, the grain discussion here. This is a we tend to make seasonal lows in the grain and oil seed markets in September as a lot of the northern hemisphere spring planted crops come to harvest. So if you look at a seasonal chart, we tend to, that's that harvest pressure tends to subside by the end of September. And then if it is gonna rally, it's because all this new crop is available. You see export sales increase, and then you can also turn to a South American weather market. So if you are behind on purchases, or if you've been kind of waiting for the harvest pressure, now, now is historically is the time where you're looking for coverage in those in some of those markets. And I'll say lastly on that point, Craig, is cheap, cheap feed like corn is having another impact. And that's really helping to rally the livestock markets. Um, everyone I talk to out there 
well, I shouldn't say everyone, <laughs> a lot of people out there are want, trying to get their hands on feeder cattle that they can run cheap corn through and, uh, and try to take advantage of these high beef prices. So, um, you know, I think, I think you're going to see that ripple effect into the livestock market and, you know, we can, any listeners out there who are on the beef or pork buying side of things, I'd, um, we could get them in touch with an expert over here to, to discuss greater in detail kind of the forecast on that. But we're seeing those prices rally really strong right now. And I think that's direct relation to the cheap feed. So. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. So I guess uh, to kind of summarize here, you know, on the grain side, the risk probably to the upside is in the soy complex and high protein wheat. And, um, you know, Dan, what would you say on the energy side? I would say energy is is still the next four to six weeks. I think potential weakness in uh, in the diesel markets and the oil markets. I just don't. I think they've kind of reached their top side with the drivers of the supply cuts. Um, natural gas. It's going to be a weather market right now. The the forecast for this early winter don't seem to be that that cold to start. There's two outliers that that are forecasting a cold winter. One is the Farmer's Almanac, one is the Old Farmer's Almanac. Take it for what it's worth, they have fairly cold and snowy uh, forecasts for the northern part of the United States early on. The rest of the, I guess, more scientific National Weather Service and others uh, are, more, are more middle of the road. So I think there's some weather risk on gas that we have some time, but as a buyer, you know, I, as a buyer of exposure, Tom, you said as a risk manager, you'd always rather be early uh, a little bit early into the, the hedge rather than late, because if you're late, it's going to move away from you very quickly. Always want to buy insurance before the barn's on fire, right? Yeah. So, well, that's great. Thanks for putting a bow on that. This is the September market update. We'll be back next month discussing other markets that are hot and exciting and uh, important to your business. So, all right, Craig, tell our listeners, what should they do if they want to learn more about StoneX? Absolutely, Tom. Well, first off, you can check out the show notes. All our contact information is in there, including a link to our controlling commodity cost newsletter. Uh, everyone should sign up for that. That's going to come out monthly. Also, we as a team work with companies directly, um, helping them out with their hedge plans, physical purchases. We have consulting and research here. So anything to do with commodity and futures markets, StoneX is here to provide that service, uh, and we hope to hear from you. The trading of derivatives such as futures, options, and over-the-counter OTC products or swaps may not be suitable for all investors. Derivatives trading involves substantial risk of loss. You should fully understand those risks prior to trading. Past financial results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. All references to futures and options on futures trading are made solely on behalf of the FCM division of Stonex Financial Inc., a member of the National Futures Association and registered with the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission as a futures commission merchant. All references to and discussion of OTC products or swaps are made solely on behalf of Stonex Markets LLC, a member of NFA and provisionally registered with the CFTC as a swap dealer. StoneX Markets products are designed only for individuals or firms who qualify under CFTC rules as an eligible contract participant and who have been accepted as customers of StoneX Markets. This material should not be constructed as a solicitation of trading strategies and or services 
provided by the FCM division of Stonex Financial or Stonex Markets, as noted in this presentation and podcast. Neither the FCM division of Stonex Financial Inc. nor Stonex Markets is responsible for any redistribution of this material by third parties or any trading decisions taken by persons not intended to view this material. Information contained herein was obtained from sources believed reliable, but is not guaranteed. These materials represent the opinions and viewpoints of the author and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and viewpoints of the FCM division of StoneX Financial or StoneX Markets. Reproduction or use in any format without authorization is forbidden. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.